Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the season eight premiere of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. Oh my God, Pat, it feels so good to say that. We're back. Like I said, season eight, we took over this podcast from Chris and Eugene last year for season seven. I'd say, Pat, that it was a pretty good debut for two Nova grads. Oh, you mean not bad for two people to take over the podcast and then subsequently Villanova go to a final four in their first season hosting said podcast for VU Hoops? Yeah, could some could say we could take credit. We could totally take credit. Did for any news happen to like any substantial Villanova shifts maybe at the end of the season no, plus a final comes four? To mind. No, no. Yeah. yeah. So we had one heck of a year one, but uh, we're super excited to be back for year two. Yeah. So if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Pat and I had so much fun doing this last year. We're going to up the ante even higher this year as we've gotten more comfortable in these roles. That means more guests, more content, more recaps, more previews, all of the above, all that you can think about, plus engagement on Twitter. We met so many cool people in this content sphere last year, and we're just looking to get even more involved this year. Absolutely. It was so great to kind of dip our toes in last year and grow into the role, uh, feel fully established now and really pumped to continue, you know, meeting you all and and appreciate everything that we hear from you. It's uh, it's fun doing this in a community like VU Hoops, and uh, it really makes it all special. Totally. Yeah, well said. And we thought we had high expectations for last year anyway, I would say, with the caliber of talent that Nova had. Add in a Final Four berth, add in a Justin Moore injury, add in a Jay Wright retirement. And this year, regardless what you think about the talent on the team and what the ceiling is of this team, it's going to be interesting no matter what because there are so many facets that we're going to get into from the coaching standpoint to the recruiting standpoint to the leadership standpoint. So if you think that interest may dip down this year I think you might be mistaken Pat and I are really excited about that there are so many different avenues for us to go down and for us to explore especially in terms of Nova itself as we kind of give you a look at our content calendar here on today's episode we are going to be previewing or at least overviewing uh, all of Villanova's non-conference and in-conference opponents and condensing that into one episode. I know it's been two episodes the last couple of years and then on- A mega episode. A Pat. mega episode. Mega. How else would we start a season <laughs> other than a mega episode, please? Um, and then on Thursday, we will be bringing you 
our Villanova team preview, breaking down all the storylines, going player by player for expectations, getting you all set for Monday night's opener against LaSalle. So we are pumped. We are really excited. And there's just a little peek behind the curtain for what to expect. Yeah, we wanted to, we wanted, as always, just be as transparent as we can up front. We are going to keep the tradition of Thursday mailbags alive. Of course, how could we not? So make sure you follow us on Twitter so you can keep up with that and send us in your questions. We had some stalwarts last year and we're looking to continue to add to that group, that dedicated group, I will say too. So yeah, we're so excited. I, I say we go right into it, Pat, because this, like we said, is going to be a mega episode. We've obviously got the whole season to cover, but a reason why we did it this way as well is because there's going to be so much more Big East content down the stretch as conference play gets closer and closer. And we will have so much more time to get really deep into the weeds of what could be a super interesting conference this year. Maybe the most interesting in the last few years that we've had here. Without a doubt. So many things that we can really look into there and why we start with the out of or with the opponents first is we want to whet your appetite on Villanova content oh, yeah. and have you coming back for Thursday when we dip into the full team, which uh, oh, yeah. is going to be a great episode. Yeah, it's funny how quickly we get into games and that it's recapping and preview, rinse and repeat. I love it. Cannot we'll get wait. into it. Yeah, we're almost there. All right, so let's start. There's obviously, uh, different from last year, actually, the non-conference schedule is not as mind-blowing as it was last year. But still good. But still very good. We've got mm-hmm. a really nice Big Five slate. We've got the really nice Big East Big 12 matchup that's recurring again this year and some really cool invitationals. So I say we're going to go through every team on this list as it will happen on the calendar. And we've got just a few bullet points on each one. Again, setting the scene before we potentially preview that team on a, in a more one-on-one setting as that game gets closer. So Pat, start us off with LaSalle. What you got? Exactly. This is your appetizer, because as we get closer to every game, we will dive into them. But as Emma alluded to, Villanova will open up their season, season one of the Kyle Neptune era at home at the Finneran Pavilion against LaSalle, who finished 11 and 19 a year ago. LaSalle or Villanova, not the only team in this game undergoing a coaching change here and very similar story where it is a familiar face taking over at LaSalle as 74-year-old Fran Dunphy returns to the bench in the Big Five. He becomes the first man to coach three Big Five teams alongside Penn, excuse me, as I combine the two, and most recently (laughs) Temple. It's been hard times for LaSalle, seven consecutive losing seasons. We know Ashley Howard, of course, the former Villanova assistant, things did not work out there for him, and he was let go. But a lot of intrigue here in Dunphy coming in, someone that can try and add some stability here. Of course, it is uh, clear to see that they have completely changed and gone the opposite with first taking in a first-year head coach in Ashley Howard and trying to let him grow and now going to the ultra-experienced Fran Mm. Dunphy who not only has all the experience as a head coach here uh, in the NCAA, but also has plenty of Philadelphia roots through his history here. Yeah, Big Five will mean so much to him. And I think starting off with Nova will be a a huge test for both sides. Um, You know, there's there's been a lot of talk over the past few years, especially about the style of Big Five play, the continuity of Big Five play. Not that expectations are significantly down without Jay Wright, But I do think this is, there's a chance, there's an opportunity, I should say, this year 
for big five play to potentially go back to the caliber that it was at. And it might not be with LaSalle, but you have some good potential matchups with Temple, the second hmm. game on that. We'll talk about them play. very soon. Yes, no, I, I completely agree there. Looking at LaSalle, Josh Nickelberry is their top returning scorer at just over 11 points per game. He is a Louisville transfer to go into a little bit of the pedigree that went in there. Uh, Jamar Brickus, also a very good player, been around for a couple years now. He's got almost 50 starts with LaSalle, so plenty of experience and plenty of big five experience to go with them. Uh, what's interesting to look at for LaSalle, is do not expect an aerial assault on Villanova. Mm -hmm. uh, they were 10th in points per game in the A-10 a year ago, 5th in attempted threes, but 11th in three-point percentage at just over 30%. So not very lethal from beyond the arc. They make most things happen from underneath the basket there. Uh, three-point defense, of course, has become a huge thing with Villanova. Struggled with it at times last year. Don't believe that this will be a big test to see how that progresses here in year one with Neptune. No, I agree. Do you remember what uh, this just came to me as you said it? Because I've obviously seen this name in doing research, but I hadn't thought of it. Do you remember what you said about Brickus last year? He was my favorite name in college basketball, I believe. Yeah. Right? Yes. That, why do you think I brought goodness. him up? I had to. I had you to. You just wanted yes. to say the name Brickus. That's so strong. I did. To be fair, Such he has name. developed into a pretty good player as well, but um, <laughs> sure, I will give him props on the name. <laughs> yeah. And, and going back to Dumphy too, you made an interesting point about the, the Ashley Howard experiment. The first time head coach did not work. And they're pulling a Chicago White Sox Tony Larusa this time. Oh, around. don't say that! No, no, no. We don't. We we don't want to. We don't want to curse Lasalle with how that's. Turned yeah, out. we saw how that worked out. Hopefully, it's different for Lasalle. But to give them credit, I mean, they are bringing a winning coach. He's the all-time winningest coach in Big Five history. So Dumphy knows how to win. I think the biggest thing here: first game of the season, first game with a new coach. And so many new faces. They also lost four of their top six scores from last year. This team is going to lack chemistry. And I think that's why it's going to be hard for them to get any momentum on offense, which was already a low point for them last year. It's not an easy ass starting your season at, at Villanova here uh, yeah. with people going to be amped up, of course, for, for the new era too. Interested in your thoughts on this. And it kind of goes into the Temple game as well. What do you think about opening up with big five play rather than it just being the customarily um, through uh, December? I actually like it. And I think that even the, uh, the new, the Big East schedule this year, I think is almost on its head from what it was last year. We get UConn really early. We get Marquette early. And then we get teams like Seton Hall and Xavier later in the season. I like that it's different. And especially Big Five, I think there's going to be a huge push from Neptune and the older players on the team, along with everybody else in that mini conference, that it's going to matter this year. And, and I'll go right into Temple. I actually yeah. genuinely think that they could put up a little bit of a fight. As do and I. Khalif battle. Did we? Oh, Temple. Well, Temple was uh, postponed last year anyway because of COVID. But Khalif battle only played seven games last year. Mm -hmm. Averaged twenty one points in those seven games. So this guy can can score at a high volume. They've also got Damian Dunn. He averaged fifteen. This will be the first real defensive test for Nova. I'm wondering who's going to take those assignments. How they're going to look on that side of the floor. I think the offense will look great against LaSalle, but now you've got a totally different look with this Temple team that could actually make some waves in their conference as well. So we've been recording for what, like 10 minutes uh, after a six month break. And we're already getting on a very similar wavelength here. Um, oh yeah. In, in terms it never of stopped. 
exactly in terms of my notes for what i wrote down uh Khalif battle as you said is a real stud for temple what's interesting here is you also uh mentioned this is the first meeting between villanova and temple since february 16th 2020 why does that yeah. date stand out that is before the world shut down with covid it has been that long since these two programs have faced off against each other to your point I think of any of the big five teams, if there's one that can really make a run at Villanova, Temple would be the one just based mm-hmm. off of what we've seen. This is now year four of Aaron McKee and they have progressed. Uh, it was a mess in 2021. They went 14 and seven in year one for him, five and 11 in year two. Last year, 17 and 12 brought back some key guys, as you said, like battle. Uh, they have Shane Dizoni coming in from Vanderbilt as well to add some talent there from the SEC. I do not expect this to be an easy game for Villanova. It is at Temple as well. So a road Mm -hmm. game, though still in Philadelphia um, for the first week of the season. And with Big Five opening up play there, you know, some of these early season games can lack some juice, you know, when you play like a Mount St. Mary's at home and such that Villanova has over the last couple of years and kind of that opening week or two. You're opening up with Big Five play. I expect the intensity to be really ramped up as we get started, which I think is a cool way to start the season. That's the perfect way to put it, especially first year of the season. You really don't expect any bangers here. And Mm -hmm. and Big Five does raise that intensity more than an Army or a Mount St. Mary's, like you mentioned. Yeah, 100%. And I mentioned off the top that the the non-conference schedule, I'm going to say it pales in comparison to last year. But the caveat here is, again, the emphasis on road games. Villanova is playing a lot of their non-conference schedule on the road. So it might be lower caliber teams, but it's still a test for this Nova team to go out there and play on the road, see the opposing fan bases and shore up any of those weaknesses so that they can get back to the fence. Yeah, for sure. Road and neutral site, which uh, we know Villanova has been liking doing. I still want to see one of these big time opponents really come in to Villanova. I feel like it's been a yeah. couple years, especially at the Finn. We'll talk about Oklahoma. At I was Wells just going to say, Oklahoma, which will be great. Fargo, but yeah. I mean, Michigan coming into the Finneran pavilion, that that's one of the few that really stand out for teams that have mm-hmm. visited the Finn. I, I'd like to see them schedule more of those games. I understand why they have them at Wells Fargo. Of course, you can have a lot more people in. It makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense, but just an interesting trend to follow. What was the, uh, was it the school Furman? Don't that don't lost? bring that up, please, please. Yeah, I was, I'm still I was scarred say, from that junior I was going to say Fulham, but that's obviously the the Premier League team. But uh, yeah, Furman, that must have really scarred them. Yeah, no schools from, are now allowed to come to the pavilion. To <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, you want to switch to Delaware State? I now? say, speaking of games that will be at the pavilion and may lack a little bit of juice. Um, yeah. Uh, a week from the season kicking off on then here with November 14th, Delaware State will come in to the pavilion. They went 2-26 and a year ago, 0-14 in the MEAC. Uh, my one note for them is that in 2017, the university received the Health Leadership Award in recognition for its efforts to be a smokeless campus. Oh, my God. Wow. That's I think I everyone just learned something. That's that's all I got on Delaware State. I I'm stuck. The only thing I had was that they were 0 14 at conference last year. So I like that. I think that wraps up our preview. (laughs) (laughs) And we're moving on a game that that, that's got some juice. I actually, you mentioned that you were trying to go to this game. Did you get tickets? Does not look like it's going to happen. Unfortunately, Uh, just with work schedule. Uh, But I know some friends that'll be there. um, So they'll have a great time. 
Yeah, Michigan State will be tested already by the time Villanova even gets there. They play yes, they two-ranked will. Gonzaga and four-ranked Kentucky. And then Nova and Alabama, all in a 13-day stretch. So I actually think Michigan State and Tom Izzo, who just signed a five-year contract extension for a crazy amount of money, it brings up that debate that we had last year about is it a good test or is this team going to be so fatigued by the time conference play starts that it could alter some of their their records and their statistics they will certainly been be dealing with the same question that villanova had to worry about a year ago my thing yeah. with michigan state is i'm not sure they have as much talent as that villanova yeah that's true did or the conference a year ago. Well, well, yes, my note for them is actually that they're still the most recent national champion from the nation's most underachieving oh, basketball you're so, conference. You're so mean. Let me God. make sure I get that in there. I didn't even have to, but I still felt like I needed it. Um, they did have a seventh seed in the West last year, beat Davidson, which was a good Davidson team in the NCAA tournament before eventually falling for Duke, falling to Duke, excuse me. Uh, player to watch here for me, it's the familiar face. It's Joey Hauser, of course, still there. In East I was Lansing. just going to say, he yes. it feels like he hasn't graduated in seven years. <laughs> of course, we know him from his time at Marquette. Um, he has not hit the ground running at Sparty like I think a lot of us thought he would, though year two in that system did see improvements. We know he can stroke it from three. I think he's going to grow into an even bigger part of this Michigan State offense as they have lost some pieces here. So mm-hmm. I'm very interested in seeing how he develops and his usage really early on in the season for Michigan State. Yeah, I feel like a huge theme across the entire college basketball landscape is how many losses teams are dealing with. I I can't remember a season where every single note I have about every team starts off with who they've lost. Other than Creighton, which we'll get to. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But everyone else is that way. (laughs) But it's pretty wild. It feels like there was such a influx of talent that either graduated or moved on to the NBA or transferred the transfer portal obviously is still a huge moving part but yeah Michigan State another one of those teams they lost their top three scores two of those guys were top two in minutes played mm-hmm. and the other thing that's that strikes me about Michigan State is just how much of a mixed bag they were last year they had They're so hard to pin yeah they, they had good wins against Purdue and Wisconsin with Johnny Davis but then they went out and lost to Rutgers in Northwestern so I, I think especially so early on even though they have a really tough non-conference schedule where we'll, we'll pretty much know what Michigan State is like come beginning of December, basically. I think it'll be tough to tell what the identity of this team really is. I think they will struggle offensively just to find out who that guy will be at the beginning. But again, when you have Tom Izzo, the standard is higher anyway. And that's the other thing about new coaches, so many new faces across college basketball too. Tom Bizzo has become potentially the, him and Behan maybe, for the faces of college basketball coaches now. Ooh, you got any that's others? a big question. That's a big question um, to to go through there. I feel like we could spend yeah. a whole uh, a podcast going Ab- through yeah, it. Yeah, a whole episode on that. But 100%. you're right in, in looking at Michigan State that way. Uh, they have Tom Izzo and they are at home in this game, yeah, which of course is a big advantage for them. AJ Hogard as well is a very, very strong guard. He was actually first in the country in assist rate from a year ago. So we know that he can distribute the ball. The question is going to be, you know, is he going to have the scoring around him to be able right. to really take advantage of that? I think this is a winnable game for Villanova on the road, though it is a big ask for a team that we know is at that point, not really going to be all that battle tested with, mm-hmm. uh, with the opening week um, that we go through. What is their record after this game Villanova 
porno. I actually, I actually think so too. Yeah, I, I, think I do they, not I think, think they, they get through. I don't think they get through the non-conference schedule undefeated. But I, do I do think they can beat Michigan State. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a winnable game. Um, yeah. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough environment. There's some talent on Michigan State. I am not saying that Michigan State is a bad team. This is just, this is not the Michigan State from you know five years ago. There's not a Denzel Valentine or a Cassius right, Winston right. on this team that can really propel them. <gasps> and lead them yeah some good names for you there right it's just it's not the same talent level over there right now so even with this being a tough out of conference road game i think there's a chance totally great and it'll just be cool i love playing teams like that just to see that environment because you still despite that 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 uh loss of talent and they've been kind of mediocre for the past few years michigan state is still one of the premier names in college basketball so it'll be cool to they're still in the champions classic yeah, for nobody to go there and see what that environment is like. I think it'll be a fun game to watch. Absolutely. Now we got some invitationals to talk about. Oh, it's time. So the first one is Iowa State in the Phil Knight Invitational, right? That's what that's what they're calling it this Correct, year. Correct, out in Oregon for him, yes. So I have less about what to watch in this Iowa State matchup than just giving some background on what Iowa State did last year. Yeah, so impressive. So in 2020, the 2020 to 2021 season, this team was 2-22, and and they went winless in conference, 0-18. They started off last year 14-1, and earned an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament, had two major upsets. They beat LSU, and then they beat Wisconsin with mm-hmm. Johnny Davis. Again, two mentions so far. And they lost to Miami, who was also this wonder kid story. In the Sweet 16, no team has ever gone from two wins to that deep into the NCAA tournament. So regardless of how this game turns out, I, I also think Villanova wins this game. But the turnaround at, at Iowa State has been remarkable. The Big 12 is a really good conference. Yeah, it's um, deep. It's it, really it's deep. It's very deep, and it's going to be strong again. Now, as you mentioned, it's tough to go through these teams without talking about what they lost. Tyrese Hunter, mm-hmm. a very, very talented player for them, actually transferred interconference to Texas, which is a really tough loss um, as, as he was an exciting player for them. But if we look at them on the flip side of the transfer portal, they brought in two Bonnies. You know I love St. Bonaventure, so of course I have to bring them out there. Jaron Holmes coming over as a guard, very strong distributor, really good defender. And then Osuna Suni as well, also coming over from St. Bonaventure, two-time A-10 defensive player of the year, a huge presence in the post. This is a tough game um, for Villanova and the PK Invitational. The Invitational as a whole is really cool. Participants, Carolina, Portland, Iowa State, Nova, UConn, Oregon, Alabama, and Michigan State here. I do, I think there is a strong chance Iowa State can pull out a win over Villanova. I think they're going to be a tough matchup here. A lot mm-hmm. of this is going to come down to how much of Villanova's team is available, i.e. I'm looking at you, Cam Whitmore, uh, for something mm-hmm. we will discuss much more on Thursday. But this is not an easy first-round matchup for the Cats. However, yes, they can beat them scoring-wise. It's going to be tricky. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. With the transfer portal and transfers in general becoming so much more mainstream now, how much do you think chemistry matters anymore? It still does. Uh, I think we see that, you know, in a couple of different instances. However, 
maybe more so than chemistry. And it's a point we talked about last year, experience really matters. Yes. You know, so if you're bringing, exactly. If you're bringing in a senior, a junior, senior or grad transfer in in many of these extra COVID year uh, instances, that experience that they can bring to the team, think Remy Martin with Kansas from a year Mm -hmm. ago, really, really important. But I think it's less so the cohesion because in college basketball, the very nature of the sport is upheaval. We see it every single year with now with the transfer portal that is factored into it, as well as all the, you know, NBA draft entries, you're going to have a lot of change every year. It's hard to keep that same unit together. But if you can find a team that at least has a couple of different players that's been there, that's done that, that understands how to pull a team through some hard times and come through when they need it, I think that might start to eclipse it. Yeah. You think Ryan Hawkins from Creighton too. Oh, such a, guys such that... a good pickup for them last year. Yeah, they know how to win. And I, I agree with you. It's just funny because maybe chemistry wasn't the right word. It's experience there. It's just become so normal for players to switch potentially multiple times across their collegiate years. And now it's just about getting the best players and winners onto their team. And actually, Iowa State is kind of the uh, the father of the transfer portal. There's a really <laughs> good article on ESPN about how – deep they've gone into the portal I, I believe last year it was almost all transfers on that team so he'll be the, the the head coach I can't remember his name right now it's it's yeah TJ Oldsberger oh yeah thank you um he'll be tasked with dealing with some new faces and that's again a nod to the coaching staffs that can handle the the upheaval across college basketball that a lot of other coaches are dealing with it's a lot. Uh, if I did have to make a pick here, I think Iowa State does beat Villanova. I think this really? is really. I think this is a very, very difficult game. Um, however, I do not count the Cats out. Okay, I like that. Yeah, so we're we're not going to spend time speculating about the future of this invitation. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later. <laughs> yeah, we don't know the matchups, but UNC is a team that I hope we can spend a lot of time talking about in the future. Let me just say that. Hey, because, if Villanova beats Iowa State, they play UNC on Friday, which would be great. That would be so much fun. So, I mean, what a team. I, I think they should be the favorites to uh, get back to the championship game, and I think they have as good of a chance as anybody. Again, talk about chemistry and experience. They are bringing most of the guys back. We, we mentioned Creighton. UNC is another huge example of a team that every single guy on that team has unfinished business and that is why a lot of them came back and they look pretty primed to make a deep run again this year they are going to be incredibly talented uh yeah so i it would be a phenomenal matchup if that's how things play out and villanova faces up with unc and we can only hope it happens because that means they beat iowa state yeah would you want to see uconn in the invitational (laughs) i think a title game of villanova uconn in november would be quite fun um so yes i i would enjoy that a lot and we know villanova has a pretty good history with november tournaments over the last what decade or so um so can't count the cats out especially in a november tournament all right so that brings us to the first wells fargo game of the 2022 2022 2023 season oklahoma december 3rd saturday at noon that's got some good potential there pat oh i will be there um and oh let's go yeah and i am very very excited i love opening up the wells fargo game for a big game uh early with it being you know the the first weekend in december i think it's a lot of fun that it's a big non-conference game coming Mm -hmm. in here 
um, this early in the schedule as well. I, I have a feeling students are going to be amped up. Uh, it's going to be a very, very cool atmosphere, which is what I am most looking forward to for this game. Yeah, Porter Moser. I mean, I think it's a huge name. Again, we, we yes. talked, I didn't even expect to do this, but we've talked a lot about coaches so far. And we're going to talk another, a lot more about coaches right, on this episode. It's another <laughs> huge storyline. So Porter, Porter Moser obviously was the, the coach of Loyola Chicago through a bunch of those dream runs in the past few seasons. Oklahoma had some ups and downs last season. I think it'll be another year, not the same sort of dominance that they had in 2016. That's a roast. Dominance. Got him. Take that but, buddy healed. But yeah, I think I, I think Villanova will actually this will be the first time that we might see the team clicking a little bit. Hopefully people are healthy by them, aka Cam Whitmore. Yeah, looking the, at you, Cam the, Whitmore. Right. The fans at Wells Fargo, you've got some juice going, getting out, getting closer and closer, I mean, to conference play. I think this could be a test just in terms of measuring up for where we are four or five games into the season at this point. Yeah. You're about two weeks from conference play um, yeah. at that point with the earlier conference play that they started um, a couple years ago here with St. John's coming in right before Christmas time, which I think is great. Um, but we look at Oklahoma again, can't talk about a team without talking about what they lost. They lost three starters that averaged over 10 points a game from a year ago, obviously difficult to fill those shoes. They do have some big transfer transfers coming in in Grant Shurfield as well as Joseph Bemisili. Um, you know, Porter Moser, we know he's got the pedigree for what he's done at Loyola Chicago. He's, of course, now at this bigger program in Oklahoma. Year one was a 19 and 16. It was fine, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the Sooners last year. It's year one of a new of a new regime. It's very difficult to really get things off the ground there, especially when there is some upheaval, which is what we saw at Oklahoma. So intriguing to see if they're able to be a little more settled here in year two. Again, it goes to the strength of the Big 12 and that they're a good team. I don't think this Oklahoma team is a great team by any means, but should be a fun matchup being at Wells Fargo. Yeah, I feel the same way. That'll be awesome to be there. I'm hoping to go to a few Wells Fargo games this year, so I'm excited about that. But the last three games of this non-conference schedule, we finished up Big Five play with UPenn and St. Joe's, and you've got BC sandwiched there in the middle. I'm actually intrigued and excited about the UPenn matchup. They're ranked as the top team in the Ivy League preseason poll. They're returning a lot of scores. They've got Jordan Dingle, who we've heard about for the past few years (laughs) now. He led the conference in scoring last season. St. Joe's, on the other hand, losing their top two scorers. So, I do think Temple and UPenn will be the biggest problems for Nova. Yeah, UPenn's got a chance. Uh, UPenn, of course, also the most recent team from the Big Five to win that Big Five title, not Mm -hmm. named Villanova. Uh, Wasn't a good year for the Quakers a year ago, 12 and 16, bounced in the first round of the Ivy Tournament by Princeton. However, as you mentioned, Jordan Dingle is a very, very good basketball player. It really is the Jordan Dingle show there now for them as he has continued to develop. Max Martz, another guy that can hurt you from deep uh, in the front court. You know, UPenn's got some options, and uh, I expect it to be a pretty tightly contested game with them. That game is also at the Finneran Pavilion, Uh which, of course, gives Villanova a little bit of a boost there. But UPenn plays Villanova hard most often. I think this is a better team than we've seen the past couple years from UPenn, so I expect it to be a, a little bit of a tougher uh, big five matchup that said i still think temple is the cream of the big five not right. named villanova but mm-hmm. expect a bit of a challenge here yeah and the ivy league is no joke so for no. the for you pen to be ranked 
top there, I do think is a, a nice ode to their program. And then we've got BC and the Never Forget Classic, Tribute Classic. Yes, at last note on UPenn too, just something to watch out for them. It does come at kind of an interesting time in the schedule where Villanova is going to go from Michigan State to Iowa State to, you know, potentially UNC. Who knows if there's a title game involved in that in that tournament out in Portland, then coming back and playing Oklahoma. It's a lot of big games in a row with NBC coming after it in that Never Forget Classic. I don't love to go with cliches, but it really does fit the perfect letdown game type uh formula there but trap game trap game exactly we'll we'll talk about i'm sure we'll talk about that way too much as we get closer to it but bc 13 and 20 from a year ago at the prudential center i haven't played bc since 2021 i believe that was in the bubble actually for that game where oh you're right i forgot about that where jeremiah robinson earl went for 18 and 10 god we missed jre (laughs) um as we look as thank you as we look at bc Another old friend here, former Friar uh, Mackay Ashton Langford, is the lead mm. man on Chestnut Hill now. They're not super talented, but they're certainly very physical in how they play. Quinton Post, another seven-footer that was very good and had a strong end to the season, averaging over 14 points per game in that ACC tournament. And potentially most interestingly here, uh, they added a big recruit in Prince I'm probably going to get this name wrong. Yeah. Prince Legby, um, who was a four-star recruit, number 25 power forward in the entire class. And interesting fact about him, he was teammates with Chet Holmgren in high school. Interesting. Didn't know that. It's a nice little nugget. I try. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, I'm sure you learned something from Chet the Unicorn. You got yeah, it. Right. Yeah, I think one of the worst cliches in the book is iron sharpens iron. But the ACC last year, I think, made a lot of, of the lower tier teams better. And I think it could be the same this year. I think BC, similar to St. John's and Georgetown in the Big East, when BC is relevant, it makes the conference a whole lot stronger. And while I think we're years away from that, they have the potential. It's actually a really good point with the trap game too. They have the potential to catch some teams sleeping. And and while I don't think they have the offense to match Villanova, they they have signs of it. I, I do I do think it will be a positive year for BC. I, yeah, I do not think this is a terrible team by by any sense. No. Villanova should have every advantage going into this game um, at Prudential. However. Uh, I can see this being, uh, you know, a little closer. It kind of reminds me of, say, like the the Syracuse Villanova game at Madison yeah, Square Garden was, a couple years ago. I was just going to say, and it's at MSG. I was thinking the same exact thing. Exactly. Yeah, see, yep. they show up. They'll have some fans there. I think it'll be a cool. I'm actually trying to go to that game. I will almost certainly be at that game. That would be fun. I'm so close to MSG now. Yeah, that'll be cool. It's at Prudential. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm actually even closer to Prudential. So yeah, I say fun. that actually sets you up even better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then we close out non-conference with St. Joe's, who we mentioned. Taylor Funk, another name that you should recognize, also feels like he's been there forever. He's gone. Jordan Hall's gone. Billy Lang has done well with the program, has been waiting to make that leap. And unfortunately, I just do not see that leap happening this year. 
Yeah, under Billy Lang, they shoot a ton of threes. Um, however, those threes do not always go in or do not yeah. often go in. Prowl St. Joseph's been playing the last couple years. Just from a year ago, Nova won 81-52 in a game that was really over very, very quickly. Yeah, uh, I always feel like it won't be, too. I always feel like they'll hang around a little bit, and then Villanova really shows up and, and shoots them up from deep. It, it's the big five. There's always potential for it. It's just it's yeah. been a little bit of a struggle here. Uh, as you said, Hall actually is now with the San Antonio Spurs. Interesting mm. enough, on a two-way contract, Funk did transfer out. Uh, keep an eye on Eric Reynolds the second. He is a, a very talented player for him. He's got some quickness. Could cause some Villanova some issues. But the problem for St. Joe's, especially from a year ago, is that defensively they just do not turn you over. They did so mm-hmm. only on about 14% of opponents' possessions from a year ago. That number ranked them 355th out of 358 Division I programs. <laughs> you're on something, Pat. You are just you're, you're lighting up the bad stats at this point. I mean, it is Halloween as we record this, so going <laughs> out with some scary for numbers for everyone. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so we just talked about nine non-conference teams. We'll sprinkle in potential of somebody else in the film night invitational we won't talk about actual numbers in terms of records but how many losses will Villanova have at the start of conference play Uh, I think they will most certainly have one the question is will they have more than that find a game you know drop a game against the big five or so which I do not think they will do this year I think they win that Michigan State game so I, I think Villanova goes in with one loss. You had them losing. You think Iowa State? That was I think loss? Iowa State beats them. Yes. Yeah, I I, I kind of think the same thing. Um, I I do think I think them going undefeated in conference play feels like feels unrealistic. Feels like an unrealistic expectation. On, on right? non-conference play, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, they, they, I will play. also tell you they will not go undefeated in conference yeah. play. <laughs> so I don't. I I also think that they'll they'll clean up pretty nicely against Big Five. You've got that Oklahoma game. Maybe maybe Porter Moser has really turned things around in his second year. Maybe Michigan State will be a lot better than we expect. Maybe Iowa State will be a lot better than we expect. I do think there's a loss or two sprinkled in there, but I think it is hard cap, no more than two losses. Okay, I I think that's fair. I think three is possible, but I'm gonna go yeah. with one. Yeah. Okay. Now, the moment everyone has been waiting for, we are going to get into our Big East Conference preview. As we mentioned at the top, this will not be fully comprehensive or extensive because we will have so much more time down the stretch of the season to go way more in depth about each and every team. But I was pumped about this conference last year in terms of I guess sheer talent and how many bids I thought get into the dance. I think I had five. I think I was really high on St. John's last year and I thought they were going to get in mm-hmm. this year though. The storyline is new faces in new places. Oh, and that oh, is new faces in old places. And, and old instances. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's just so much buzz around the new names we have in the conference, uh, coaching, the new players we have in the conference, the year of the big again in the conference, the loss of players like Gillespie and RJ Cole. I don't even know where to start here. I just went again in in uh, chronicle- chronological order of the games to, to go for the team. So, I mean, I can hit any team we want or we can go in that order. Yeah, I, it was more so for, for emphatic excitement. 
I like about, it. I don't even know where to start. But yeah, I mean, I like I said too, I, I think it's we're seeing different teams at different times of the year, which I really like because those UConn games were late last year. And Nova is getting UConn before or right after Christmas, right before the new year this year. So it's it's different. Yeah, don't eat too much over Christmas because I believe it's 1227 is when Villanova plays UConn, which we know will be a massive matchup. Oh, yeah. All right. So we start with St. John's Mm -hmm. and it's something we've talked about all episode. Huge loss of one of the most talented players in the conference and Julian Champagny. That will be huge. I believe he's in the NBA. I believe so. He went undrafted, but I believe so. I'm not sure what team he's with, but what's the best for him? It might be the Sixers, actually. Oh, that's cool. I might be wrong there. I'll Google it right now. That would be cool. Yeah, him going out is is obviously a a huge loss for... It is the Sixers. It's a huge loss for St. John, just in terms of scoring. He really shouldered the load for them, and that Mm -hmm. is what I'm going to be watching with St. John's is... How do they redistribute those points on offense? Because we know everything they bring defensively with the havoc, uh, or excuse me, with uh, forty minutes of hell that uh, that Mike Anderson brings. <laughs> you're, mi- you. you're mixing up some I defensive say, schemes I here. I do not want to offend Shaka <laughs> and Mike Anderson. Um, so it, it's we know what they bring there. Offensively, things are going to be different. Aaron Wheeler as well is also gone, who was a very talented player oh, true. Yeah. from a year ago. And if you think about it too, they were a stone's throw away from beating Villanova in the Big East yeah. tournament, if not for a huge Nova comeback and Brandon Slater drilling those free throws at the end. Mm-hmm. That's why I always find St. John's to be such a fun matchup to get excited about. Because they could be, they had a really down season last year, but they still finished above 500. Which As Mike Anderson Mark, always Mike, does. Uh, yeah. Mike Anderson's uh, streak alive, and they're just tough down the stretch. They're, it's a rock fight. It's one of those games I remember I was in a hotel for this St. John's game, and I was pacing the entire time. I could not sit down. Every single, every single time a shot went up, you're just yelling at the screen. This is one of those games. Posh Alexander was, I believe, named to the first team all Big East preseason. That sounds right. Which I thought was surprising. I hope he takes a leap. I'm not sure that he will from an offensive perspective. And then, of course, I can't believe you didn't bring this up already. Andre Curbelo is of the course. newest member of the Red Storm. And I'm very curious to see what his offense will be like when he wasn't relied upon too heavily offensively at Illinois. <laughs> well, offense is the key The key phrase for him uh he yeah. he's very talented offensively though a turnover machine at yeah. times at illinois and this is the biggest thing stylistically is that i don't even have to sugarcoat it he was a train wreck on defense for a lot of yeah. the season to a point where he got pulled uh, from that illinois rotation at times because they just couldn't rely on him out there and that's not exactly a perfect marriage when you think of mike anderson which is why i think that transfer is so intriguing however I think St. John's kind of had to to put their chips in the corner saying we need mm. to find a way to make our scoring more explosive with Champagne going out. And that's exactly what Corbello is going to bring there. But will he bring enough defensively or is he going to make Posh Alexander try and guard two guys at once? Good the entire time. Yeah, good. So Anderson took a huge risk. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's it is really not a point. stylistic match. It, it yeah. really isn't with, with how they go there. Other big name, though, David Jones, which is a familiar mm. one, coming over from DePaul. That's a tough loss for Tony Stubblefield uh, yeah, because Jones Jones is a solid player. He'll add a little bit of beef there to the front court. We know he has the ability to score. Um, Eddie Wusu is also back again for St. John's as well as Soriano. So 
They do have some talent coming back. And then AJ Store is going to be the interesting freshman to watch. Kind of a 6'6 guard type wing. IMG Academy was an ESPN top 100 recruit. So certainly some pedigree coming out of there. And uh, I'm excited to watch St. John's. I'm high on St. John's this year. I, I think there's a pretty consensus top four in the Big East. Just, you know, not how that order is going to shake out, but who those top four teams in. I firmly believe St. John's has the best crack at getting the fifth seed. Interesting. Over Providence? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, they were ranked six overall behind Providence in the preseason coaches poll. Yeah, I just, I think I've been scarred one too many times by and being a believer. St. John's, John's fans would tell you the same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're saying it. You don't even <laughs> watch every single game like we do. But yeah, I just, it's tough thinking this can be the year without Champagny. Because mm-hmm. he was their one saving grace for so long. That's fair. To do it without him offensively feels like a huge lift, no matter how good they are on defense, no matter how fast their pace is. You're going to catch teams off guard, and especially at home. They're they're a really good home team, too. I'm just, I, I don't know. It's funny. We, we switch roles a little bit. I think I'm a little bit lower on St. John's this year than you are. That That's okay. It's I, I know you've got to get your Providence props in there. Um, and yeah, I'll I do. take my of shots course. at them, as I always do. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get there eventually. Do you think? Oh, I, I guess we'll, we'll talk about more teams. Then I've got a, a good question at the end that we can finish out with. Yeah, so absolutely. you were, you were a day off for UConn. We got them Wednesday, December twenty eighth. Oh, I'm sorry. At I tried UConn. to do it off memory. Six thirty p.m. Not too bad, I will say. This is the epitome of a new look team for UConn. Oh they lose man, yeah. So many players. I, I won't list off the laundry list, but no, most notably RJ Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, Martin, Whaley, Gaffney. Mm-hmm. Who else am I missing? Uh, Corey Floyd to Providence, a cook, a cook to Georgetown. A cook, a cook. That's right. Yeah. A lot of um, interconference transfer transfers, which is an interesting thing. Uh, it doesn't shock me. It's point. becoming more common with that waiver, yeah. kind of, or not with the waiver, without having to sit out the year. I, I think you're going to see this a lot more as the years progress here, is that teams are going to be recruiting each uh, their opponent's players. And yeah, their I, opponent's I think players. that will only continue to grow. Yeah, Adamas Inogo was pretty much the unanimous uh, preseason Big East player of the year. There is so much buzz around him. I said the year of the big, he will be the front runner for that. He was a mm-hmm. beast last year in the post. It's again, UConn, their, their, um, we, their biggest weakness last year was who can step up and be the guy not named RJ Cole. Not named RJ Cole. Did, exactly. Yeah, he did finish strong, but without him, they, with him, excuse me, they had offensive problems without him. How much can Sonogo bear? And I think it's going to come down to Jordan Hawkins being that X factor. Yeah, I, I like where you're going there. I'm so intrigued by UConn this year because as we hear from UConn, because it's impossible to avoid, you know, they they hold themselves very highly as one of the top programs in the country. And if so, this is a huge kind of exodus of talent and try and reshuffle the roster in a way here. They think they have their guy, though. Fun fact, UConn has yet to win an NCAA tournament game under Dan Hurley. Just thought I might mm-hmm. throw that out there. Um, and they're bad losses. They 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 have been some, some rough losses for yeah. them. As you said, Adama Sonogo, favorite to win Big East Player of the Year, as he should be. He's got the potential to wreck games, really take over games. He's the best big man in the conference, in a conference that has some really good big men, oh, mind yeah. you. Adama Sonogo is the top one. 
It'll be a nightmare matchup for Villanova when they do face off him, though Eric Dixon did do a wonderful job against mm-hmm. him um, in best game one of, of those games. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they did hit the, the transfer portal as, of course, they had to, um, picking up at point guard Tristan Newton, who's coming in from ECU, where he averaged about 18 points a game and five boards, as well as five assists. Um, you know, a, a player that's probably going to handle a lot of the brunt of the ball handling for them. And as you said, what I'm really watching here is Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins. Mm. Do they take that step forward and really tap into that athleticism and a ton of talent to be able to pull this UConn team forward? Because the losses of RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin are massive. Those were the real go-to guys that they could go to on the perimeter. RJ Cole was as clutch as it gets. So oh, yeah. it, it is, it's a, it's not fair to call it a season of transition because I think this is still a very talented Huskies team, but things have to change because they just, they yeah. don't have the same guys left over. And experience wins and experience didn't win for them last year. Mm-hmm. So that felt like the closest they were going to get and they didn't even make it out of the first round. So I think, okay, here I'll pose this to you before I give my thoughts. How close are you to saying Dan Hurley is on the hot seat? Not yet. Um, okay. He's done a he's done a good enough job at getting UConn back in the national stage. It's obviously very important to have them back in the Big East, and it's important to get them back in the NCAA tournament, things mm-hmm. that he has done recently. However, if they underachieve again and they have another brutal result come March, I don't think he's at the chance where they would let him go after it, but Heat would start to turn up a little bit entering the 23-24 season. Yeah. It just feels like the heat is always on there. Again, because expectations are always so high. No, even though performance might not be uh be on par with that yet. But I, I agree. I don't I don't think one se- I don't think this season is going to change it, but it is no. worth at least keeping in the back of your mind that at some point, similar to Travis Steele and Xavier, no matter how talented the guys on your roster are, you if it's not resulting in NCAA tournament wins, you have a problem and the fans have a problem and a lot of things change after that. Absolutely. So th- I think it's a crucial year in that way for UConn. I think you need to see them take another step forward in March. Um, but they, they have a talented roster. They're just, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these new pieces fit together, but they're, yeah. they're saving grace for them as they have Adama Sanogo and he is the best player in the Big East. I was I was just going to say, as good as Creighton is, as good as Xavier is, I still think the most buzz might be around that UConn-Nova matchup just because of, it feels like there was so much history in those two games uh, last there year. There certainly is. Just... And and Dixon-Sanogo will again be, and, and it's earlier this year, which is actually really nice. That'll be a huge test for Dixon. I think I have so much to say on thursday's episode when we do the whole team preview about what this team's identity will be we know uconn's identity it's just about whether villanova can match it and or beat it and Mm -hmm. regardless of how good they are offensively and if they can fill enough shooters around sonogo they'll bring the intensity they'll bring the tempo they'll bring the defense these games are going to be rock fights just like they were last year and i think it's going to come down to who's going to make the bigger shot which I guess inherently gives Villanova the advantage there, the slight advantage there going into the season, at least. Just one thing to think about. You are 100% right. When you say the matchup comes early this year, that is the first matchup. The second matchup. <laughs> second to last game. <laughs> no, the last. Oh, game the last game. Yeah. Before the big East the tournament. Ultimate with game. Obvious yeah. potential for a lot of big East 
um, regular season title ramifications on it. So very, very exciting. That game is at Wells Fargo Center, by the way, Yeah. on March 4th. It is a night game at Wells Fargo Saturday Center. Saturday night. Oh, yeah. So get ready. Mark your calendars for March 4th, people, because that's going to be a fun one. Uh, let's go through, let's go through Marquette and then we can reassess record at this point too. Oh, poor Marquette. I feel like such a broken record, but it's again, it's again about losses. They lost Justin Lewis and Darren Marcel and Shaka Smart. Again, a little bit of a rocky season last year, but you give a guy a little bit of leeway as he makes his transition into head coach, their defense and their tempo was just as strong as it had been. But to lose those two guys, really the the two huge sources of offense and Marcel is just this huge leader. That's a tough thing to recover from. I'm still ticked off that Villanova didn't win a regular season Big East title because they twice. lost twice to Marquette. Um, twice. Yeah. I, for, for this year or last year, we'll start with it. You know, a nine seed, they were blown out by UNC, which might not have looked great when it first happened, but then UNC of course goes on their run. Um, and it looks a little better there. But as yeah. you said, you know, gone with Justin Lewis being gone and he carried so much of the brunt scoring wise. I do not think this is going to be a good year for Marquette looking up and down that roster. I mean, I think Cam Jones can progress and turn into a pretty decent player. Tyler Kolick is a very solid player already. I believe he was first in the Big East in assists per game. He's a very strong distributor. And and assist to turnover ratio. There you go. So like, he, really he's, a, he's a solid player. Um, yeah. We know they'll force some turnovers on defense with, with that style, but I'm just, I'm not sure how much talent is really there. I think this is going to be a, a rough year for Marquette and a little bit of a step back after what was a very strong start for Shaka. And I see them finishing yeah. kind of in, in the bottom part of the Big East. Yeah, they were ranked ninth out of the 11 teams in the preseason poll. I think, I was, and I think that's about right for them. I was surprised to see, but I, I agree. I, I think talent-wise, simply, t- despite coaching, it's just tough to work with, you know, potentially your leading scorer is Kolick, right? Maybe uh, Igodaro down low. He's got a little bit mm-hmm. of height, or a lot of height, actually. He's 6'9". But, yeah, I agree. I actually, I, I think this will be a step back from Marquette. I always think... Really, the only two teams that I'm not scared of, knock on wood, of course, that's going to change this year, are Georgetown and DePaul. I still think Marquette can present a difficult matchup. For yeah, Illinois we've had enough because, bad experiences right, how can you, <laughs> over the last you couple You can't years. potentially shake them off just because of the, the defensive intensity. And I, I feel like I said it so many times last year, if you're going to beat Villanova, you have to beat them at their own game. And I think that's what Marquette did last year. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the leaders this year to do that again at the same level. I'm just getting flashbacks to that game at the Pavilion and getting angry. So right? I think I think we should move on from Marquette <laughs> okay. before I blow a gasket here. Um. All right. So <laughs> is Villanova undefeated after the Marquette game in the conference play? No. You think they lose to Mar- UConn? I do. Wait, that that's a tough game. Um, that that is a very very difficult game. It's a it's a uh, it's actually similar to at Creighton to start last season. Yes, a really tough road game. Not to kick off conference play this year, but the second game of conference play, I also think they're going to drop it. I think so. Are you saying the sky will be falling again, just like it was after they lost? Yeah, two two twenty point losses. The season's over. We we all saw how that turned out, right? All right, all right. They got to New Orleans. (laughs) But I, I, I mean, 
again because it's UConn and these games are these matchups are so hyped I think panic buttons will start to go off but this will be the second game of conference play I think there will be a lot of tinkering with the lineup Mm -hmm. as conference play begins and this is just the first test of many in a really loaded conference so I'm I'm not worried win or lose in that matchup Uh, no uh absolutely and then speaking of the final four um, a team that will not be in the final four this year is Georgetown, who went six and 25 from a year ago and zero and 19 in conference, the perfect season. Um, Aminu Muhammad did dart for the NBA. Donald Carey transferred to Maryland, though they do have some familiar faces. Uh, Dante Harris, still, we know, a very good player, had that magical run to help Georgetown win that Big East tournament a couple years ago. Aforementioned a cook, a cook coming in from UConn. And then just one of the most interesting stories in college basketball. Kudus Wahab is back at Georgetown after starting his career there, transferring to Maryland. He has now come back to DC and will be back with Patrick Ewing, a guy that gave Villanova fits, mind you, in Kudus Wahab. So, oh, yeah. yeah, excited to see that. But I can't say I have high expectations for the Hoyas this year. I know that tampering is a really big deal in the NBA. But I think it would have done everyone in this Georgetown program a service if some of the players had just talked a little bit about what their process was going to be. Because if Wahab had just stayed last year, then him and Aminu Muhammad and Matumbo and Kerry and Harris could have played together. And that could have been a pretty decent. (laughs) That's a a little bit of talent. Maybe they win a game in the Big East. Wahab... If I'm sorry, if if Mohammed talked to Wahab about staying, then those guys could have had another run at it this year. So yeah, there's a lot of confusion. Unfortunately, Patrick Ewing, I, Daniel O'Neill had an awesome quote. I think it was in an article about how big of a deal it was when Ewing came to this conference. It was the king coming back. That was her quote, mm-hmm. and it just hasn't right. worked out. Besides no. that one Big East title in the conference uh in the conference tournament yeah this team just lacks talent wahab will be another really good big men in a sea of big men in the conference so they can at least be competent and keep up there but they can't score they couldn't score last year either no and you you talk about communication i mean i think a lot of it falls on the regime and the administration here and patrick ewing is 26 and 63 now as uh as georgetown head coach in the big east the question is, does Ewing get a year seven after this year? I will There's be no way. I will be personally shocked if Georgetown is not making a coaching change um, yeah. at the end of that season. Remember last year was a little odd where they came out and fully backed Patrick, um, mm-hmm. which I certainly was not expecting, but I have Georgetown ticketed for the basement in the Big East again, and I just do not understand how they would be able to bring Ewing back after another but year like that. Why did Wahab come back? <laughs> why did he leave in the first place? There so are so many questions. Weird. Yeah, there's so many questions. Uh, I I remember literally floating the question about Patrick Ewing leaving midseason last year, and then I ended up backing him. And I think you were the one that said it actually that they have too much respect and it's completely warranted to let Ewing go midseason. But I was surprised that they brought him back. I think they're I, when three conference wins would be seen as 
a huge step forward, if not a miracle, the the uh, program is in a little bit of a bad That shape. can't happen in year six. It I just think it that's cannot happen, happen in year, year six. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think this is the last year we see Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, which is sad because I don't think anyone imagined things would go this poorly when no. Ewing first got there, but it just, it simply hasn't worked out. And for the Hoyas, you know, it's, it's going to be time to make a change. Hey, we'll see if it proves it wrong. And Georgetown goes, you know, finds a way to win seven, eight games in conference. And maybe there's a year seven, but I just, I maybe. don't see it happen. Talking about coaching changes. We've had so many corny segues, but I kind of love it. I mean, they're my favorite. So uh, you said new faces in old places. And I think the headliner of that is Sean Miller returning to Xavier and Nova faces them at home first, Saturday, January 7th. Another one where I'm not really sure where to start. Xavier's coming off that NIT title. It just wasn't working so with Travis Steele. They decided to go in a different direction, and that direction ended up being one of the premier coaches mm-hmm. in college basketball in the past maybe 10, 20 years. Sean Miller has a ton of really positive experience putting Xavier into relevance and then bringing Arizona into really, really high prominence as one of the, uh, the top-tier programs. As well I as being Zav- investigated by the NCAA. Yeah, man, I wasn't going to say that. Pat. Oh, please. On, it's me. It's Halloween. Like no, you said, I'm in, a, I'm in a mood yeah. tonight. <laughs> uh, Xavier is going to be tough. Xavier will be a very tough team to be. I actually think more so than – I actually think you and I both predicted that Villanova would get swept by UConn last year. Does that sound familiar to you? I believe so. I think Xavier has the best chance of sweeping Villanova this year. Xavier is going to be a very, very difficult out, and they are 100% going to compete for the Big East uh, regular season title this year. I I am a huge believer in what Sean Miller is able to do. We know that there are some bad stuff that comes with it. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen it at Arizona, but this Xavier team is way too talented and returns mostly everyone. Paul Scruggs is gone here, but think of Xavier. You know, they entered the Villanova game from a year ago, 11 and 1. Before yeah. finishing the season, twelve and twelve, uh, Travis Steele was let go the day after beating Cleveland State in the NIT. They then rode that out to an NIT title, and what was just such a weird experience here. But at, you know, as you bring up Sean Miller, he's returning to X for the first time since two thousand and nine. Um, well, during his time at Arizona, he led them to three Elite Eights and three Sweet Sixteens. So that there's a ton of pedigree that goes with it there. When you look at that roster, he's got Kobe Jones. He's got Jack Nungy. He's got Adam Kunkel. He's got Zach Fremantle. This is such a talented team. You now combine him, combine all of them with Sean Miller. I see no reason why the Xavier team cannot be compete, knowing how good Sintas is as a home court advantage as well, why this team cannot compete for a one seed in the Big East. Yeah, I was going to pose it to you, but I actually don't even think it's a question. I think it's undoubtedly the highest ceiling for a new coach in the big east this year yes yes sorry sorry butler i like the thad mata higher but <laughs> i don't think it's gonna be great results this year it's more so just the, the talent remaining on yes. xavier is so much higher than the talent remaining on any other team including seton hall who were decent last year they just lost a lot of those guys again mm-hmm. but yeah i think the uh the bigs that xavier has the the combo of nunji and Fremantle, and wondering if Miller's going to do a Zach Eady, Travion Walker. Is that that Williams. Williams. Thank you. If it's going to be a, a that uh, sort of deal where they sub them out and one guy is left Williams coming off the bench who ended up being so huge for Purdue down the stretch, 
or oh, if he's going to play both of them at the same time. I think he might play both of them because Fremantle can stretch the floor and Nunji. Yeah. Well, Nunji can shoot a little bit, um, but Nunji is more the, the prototypical center. Uh, for me, I'm most interested in Adam Kunkel and can we get some mm. consistency out of him? Because when he is on, he is a sharpshooter and he can be devastating. He just, he's not on too often for them. Yeah. So he's the X factor, but I think Kobe Jones is their best player. I, I was just going to say, we, you know, we, spent I, all this we time. both love Kobe Jones. We haven't even talked about the best player on their team. He's, yeah. he's a stud. And you want to talk about player. I think Adama Sonogo 100% is your favorite for Big East player of the year. Uh, Kobe Jones has a chance to be in that conversation for Big East yeah. player of the year. And he's a minutes machine. He'll be out there. He averaged almost 34 last year. He'll be out, be out there even longer this year. I think I, I've been on the side of Xavier's overrated, I think, for a little bit of time now. And this might be the first year where I start to live into the hype a little bit. They're talented. The hype a little they're bit, they're very talented. And while Travis Steele, all signs point to him being a really good guy, I think he's a decent coach. Uh, he was not able to really channel the talent here the yeah. way that he should have. Sean Miller, should, with the pedigree that he has, absolutely should be able to. And it's funny because we even when we were talking about Anderson and Shaka Smart and Patrick Ewing, we gave those guys a little bit of leeway transitioning into their new role with this new team. Less so with Sean Miller and the team. I do not think, yeah, yeah, I do not think he will get any sort of leash. They The expectations for Xavier are higher than they were last year, and it's because of Sean Miller. Without a doubt, though he still has looming, the NCAA is still doing that at Arizona investigation, and the ruling is supposed to come out sometime in the next year. Be very interesting with that looming over his head here at X. But obviously, Xavier did not care because they hired him, and they very I well know say, it's coming. They they could be facing a suspension, and they obviously I don't think, think they care. Their guy enough yeah, that I don't it think they care in this first year. But if well, they we'll if that does happen and that ends up screwing over this season, that would be a ginormous waste of talent for all the talent that's on that Xavier roster. It's going to be really interesting. Okay. So you mentioned Pat, the pretty clear cut top four in some order of Creighton, who we will talk about in a second, Mm -hmm. Nova, Xavier, UConn. Yep. The tail end of that is the pretty clear cut bottom two. And that's Georgetown and DePaul. Watch out for DePaul, man. They were, uh, they were. You said it last year. (laughs) You were hoping. 15 and 16 from a year ago, six Big East wins. Their six Big East wins were more than they had in 11 of their last 13 years. So a a really important year for that new coaching staff. I think they did a very nice job of trying to get them back to at least some level of relevance. Of course, they were still towards the bottom uh, in the Big East, but it was a step forward for them. Things are going to be difficult. This year, of course, Javon Freeman, Liberty gone, who was an absolute stud, one of the better players in the Big East, and honestly, a ton of fun to watch, too, because as talented as he was as a scorer, he was a heck of an on-ball defender as well. Uh, We already discussed David Jones gone as well, so some tough losses for them. They do have a very intriguing um, incoming, though, but interested on your thoughts on DePaul. Yeah, it it stinks to lose Freeman Liberty, or Liberty Freeman, as I think I called him at least five times (laughs) last year. It's just, we, we talk so much about immediate impacts for teams with new coaches. Tony Stubblefield incrementally is bringing this roster back. It's mm-hmm. not going to be as uh, evident or as clear cut as some other teams like Tommy Lloyd in Arizona last year. But I think you're right. Even Kyle Neptune at Fordham, like that 500 record doesn't seem that good from the outset, but when you look at years past, yep. I do think you have to give Tony Stubblefield a lot of credit. It'll be tough offensively losing Jones and uh, 
JFL, but Nick Angenda, I think will continue to improve. And uh, you were, you were going to talk about Gibson. I was going to talk about Zion Cruz. Oh, interesting. For me. Yeah. So Zion Cruz is a big deal coming into DePaul, the 72nd ranked prospect in the country. According to ESPN had offers from Oregon, Florida state, Ohio state, Creighton, et cetera, and found a way to end up at DePaul super athletic has his ability to create his own shot. You know, there hasn't been a talent like that at DePaul for a while, at least one that's as heralded, you know, Max Struess has turned into a very solid oh, yeah. NBA player was a you know a good player in college there as well. We just talked about JFL who's a very strong player, but a lot of fanfare going around Zion Cruz and will be super intriguing to see how that turns out. I just, I can't even, that, that was a great point, but I can't get past the point that the DePaul games are Tuesday, January 10th at 9 p.m. And I wonder Fe- what Wednesday, channel that's on. Wednesday, February 8th at 8.30 p.m. Do not tell me we're getting two CBS Sports Games Network with a past 8.30 tip time. It, it yeah. ha- I will be utterly shocked if it's not because they throw Those us are up. the two latest games. You have yeah. 8.30 Marquette the week before, but those are the two latest okay, games. Okay, so Why? I just looked it up very quickly. Of course, game one is on CBS Sports Network at 9 <laughs> that, o'clock on that, that Tuesday. Because <laughs> just they have to do it to us. And then the return game at the Finn is actually on Fox Sports 1. All right, that's not bad. One of the two. That Marquette game is probably going to be on CBS. Maybe they'll put Jay Wright on the DePaul game. Maybe. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Yeah, so DePaul, again, it'll be incremental, but it'll be a a largely uh, bottom of the tier finish for them, I believe. We've got Butler next. Mm -hmm. Bad Mata, again, the headliner, but similar to last year, you're not seeing the old talents of Butler (laughs) Uh, like you were last year and they just they seem to lack chemistry no matter how many talented players you put on that roster they just cannot make anything work and into deep conference runs even no your your theme of the big east coaching hirings hirings from this year is that time is a flat circle with uh sean miller going back to to xavier thad mata at butler and shaheen holloway uh at seton hall here uh, departing for Butler, Bo Hodges, Jair Bolden, Bryce Golden, Bryce Enzi, Aaron Thompson. Those are basically all the names you really knew yeah. from Butler over these last couple of years. Most importantly, Laval Jordan also out. Still really disappointed at the way he was fired, being mm-hmm. fired on, I believe it was early April, which was just ridiculous um, for a guy that is a Butler alum and I think handled himself with a lot of class. And I really enjoyed following him as much as I know things didn't turn out great for his time there though in does come Thad Mata as you said returning to his alma mater hasn't coached since 2017 when he was let go real real different exactly when he was let go by Ohio State uh, of your returners the ones to really know Chucky Harris you know a little bit of a microwave type player when he heats up he can get really hot and then most importantly though Seamus Lukosius came back and Lukosius did enter the transfer portal when Jordan was fired it looked like he was gonna go but Mata was able to re-recruit him and keep him there which is just a huge get for uh butler to be able to keep him yeah he's a talented player they've got uh manny bates grad transfer from nc state 147 blocks in the last two seasons and he missed all (laughs) last year oh my god this guy's gonna be a beast in the paint and then eric hunter jr who was really good defensively for purdue last season so again they have pieces but it also feels like butler has had pieces for years yeah i I think it's gonna be another down year yeah Uh, i would agree there when was yeah you said 26 time thad 2016 thad model 2017 with Ohio State. And then was it early 2000s that he was at Butler? 
Yes, I want. Oh, trying to go off the top of my head. I have two thousand one in my head. That might. Be I was gonna. Say, I think it's one or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I don't want to bring. I don't want to keep bringing up the White Sox, but you wonder that far removed a from coaching and then b from butler obviously it's his alma mater so there's a really nice tie there but you just wonder whether winning ways will prevail or whether it's just going to be too much of a uh a mismatch there between coach and players how many people went into this podcast thinking they're gonna get two white Sox references i don't think um, many bingo cards exactly let's let's pull it out uh do you want to move into uh providence that was definitely uh got bingo last year yeah, you're letting me take Providence. I appreciate that. Exactly. I'll set you up. So they lost all five starters. They're all gone. It will be a rebuilding year. My question to you that I will pose when I finish talking is who is going to be this year's Providence? And I think that's the best way to sum up what last year was. They caught lightning in a bottle, which I actually think probably a lot of Providence fans would take a, a front to because they had a lot of talent. It was just about making it all click at the right time. And inconsistency has been a problem for Providence for years. Playing Mm -hmm. down to opponents, another problem for years. They finally got it all going. I think their average age on the team was about 32. You have to check me on that, (laughs) but sounds about right. right. And this year, it is transfer central. Noah Locke, Devin Carter, Clifton Moore, Bryce Hopkins, Corey Floyd Jr. Those are all the guys that are now on Providence's roster. Of course, they're led by Bynum and Ed Croswell, who I think will have a huge... I think Bynum will get national national recognition, which he absolutely deserves. And Ed Croswell was really, really good down the stretch, potentially better than Nate Watson at the end of the season. So they've got different factors. I think it's instant regression just because last year was so good. But when you've got Ed Cooley at the helm... I don't think there's they're not going to be a bad defensive team because that's just not mm-hmm. in their DNA. It'll just be about whether this team can mesh early enough to prevent too much damage. I I love Ed Cooley. I really do. I I cannot speak highly enough of his talents um, as a coach and being able to get talent out of his roster. I'm a little concerned about Providence this year, just knowing how much they lost. You mentioned it without saying specifically naming the guys, but Al Durham. Noah Horkler, Nate Watson, Justin Manaya, AJ Reeves, all gone. And I have a you very... say Watson, Nate Watson. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Sorry, I must uh, have missed that. No, no, no. All good. Um, it, I have a very difficult time seeing them replace all of that production. Yeah. Jared Bynum, of course, all Big East second teamer, most certainly has an ability to see if he can make a run at that first team and very solid player. Ed Crosswell is a player that I expected more out of through his tenure of the year, though, as you said, towards the back end of last year, he started to come on a little strong. I like the transfers that came in. You know, Clifton Moore is going to bring some size, was very good at LaSalle from a year ago and had some interior defense. Bryce Hopkins, of course, is super intriguing just because he comes from Kentucky. And then Corey Floyd. I mean, I can't wait until Corey Floyd takes the floor against UConn Mm -hmm. because that is going to be just a fun environment, not for him at that point, or maybe for him if he scores against them um, to see there's such a loss of talent here for Providence. You know, I, I wonder at what level are they going to be able to play to? And most importantly, it is no longer the Dunkin' Donuts Center as well, which no. just, it, it's, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to stomach. The dunk was cool. It is called the Amp now, okay. which is kind of cool. The Amp isn't bad. I don't there remember are what worse it stands names. for. Yeah, there are definitely worse names. I'm looking at their non-conference schedule. They've got Miami and TCU. 
So TCU is a good team. A decent amount. Uh, and Miami's coming off that year last year. Isaiah Wong could be in the in discussion for an All American, I believe, sure. after the year he had. So I think they'll have enough of a test. Again, it's just it takes Providence, and Ed Cooley is so honest about this. It takes Providence longer than most teams to get everybody together. And it took them a decent amount of time last year with those five starters that they had. Mm -hmm. So with all these transfers, we've talked about chemistry and experience at the beginning of the year, huge onus on Ed Cooley to try and work the same magic he did last year, which might be unfair considering these guys were from five different teams last year. Yeah. It's, it's a big ask. I'm very intrigued to see how things go here. As I said, I have all the belief in Cooley, but it's a, it's a tough ask, especially with that top four in the Big East feeling so solidified as well to yeah. try to break into. I do think Providence can be better than St. John's. There's potential, certainly. Yeah, I think but... St. John's has the higher ceiling, but... Yeah, maybe, yeah, depending on how some of these freshmen are, too. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but I, I've read some crazy stuff. I can't... I don't want to butcher it, so I don't want to say the exact numbers, but Ed Cooley is known for having notoriously good defensive efficiency. And last year was the first time in X amount of years that he wasn't in the top in the at the top of the conference in defensive efficiency. And they still had the type of Cinderella run that they had last year. So you would think that that would be the one thing that can have some routine can stay the same going back to those defensive ways. And it'll just be on how much offense can Jared Bynum take on this upcoming year. He's going to be mowed into the ground, Pat. Absolutely. But we talk about high ceilings. You want to talk about a team with a incredibly high ceiling this year? Yeah, we're, this is our last one, right? Creighton? No, we still got we oh, still got Seton Hall. Hall to get to too. But we look at Creighton, twenty three and twelve, lost to Nova in the Big East title game, defeated San Diego State before going out to Kansas in a very hard fought game. Their only real loss is Ryan Hawkins, which of course is a real loss. He was a very very good player for them, but this Creighton team brings back. So much of its core, so much of his scoring, and Nemhard, Kalkbrenner, Kaluma, Alexander. They add in Baylor, Baylor Shireman as well from San Diego State, who is a 47% career shooter from three. Also a solid transfer in Francisco Farabello coming in from TCU under Jamie Dixon. This Creighton team is loaded. I don't think there are too many question marks around this Creighton team. The question is, is this the year? for them to mm. finally kind of harness that potential under Greg McDermott, understanding all the what players that are coming back. It's, it is a very good team and they are the favorite in the big East and they're the favorite in the big East for a reason. Do you think they're overrated? <sighs> I think tough people questions are at the start. It is a tough question. I think people are in love with this Creighton team and I want to yeah. see them out on the floor. I love Nemhard, And honestly, I love Trey Alexander. Um, mm. and I think that and he's going to be a stud. They're so, they are very I was like, you want to go yeah. through all of them? Because we could. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think if you're looking for dark horse, Big East player of the year candidates, Trey Alexander would be my guy that, that I would go to for thinking that he's got the potential to have a, a just gigantic year. Kaluma's Mr. Do Everything for them. Mm-hmm. I do believe this team should be the favorite in the Big East. I mean, when I've seen them ranked as like third in the country, I think we can yeah. probably take a little bit of a break there, but this is a very, very strong team and should be our favorite. I think I think it's the same way. I think I don't think I certainly don't think they've locked up the best team in the conference label. I would like to see them play. 
Uh, you mentioned Baylor Shireman. I think he is the better version of Ryan Hawkins. And Ryan Hawkins was also incredibly invaluable to this team last year. So that is a huge plus for them. I don't know if I've ever seen someone create a shot like Baylor Shireman creates yeah. a shot. It is remarkable to watch how just his flexibility in the air and how he's able to adjust depending on the defender to create a shot for himself is amazing to watch. I actually do think there are some question marks around this team though, because last year they were not a good uh, offensive team. Sorry. They were ninth in the league in offensive efficiency. So I was trying to say both those words at the same Which time. Really surprising under a Greg McDermott coach team. Right. He, you go back to the, the Mitch Ballag, Marcus Zagorowski years where they were just torching teams down the court. They were also very bad at handling the ball. Worst turnover rate in the league last season. So Jim hard turned it over too much. And and I think that was partly because he was a freshman. This was an incredibly long, young team last year besides Ryan Hawkins. There are so many avenues you could go down here. And this is why we're going to talk about Creighton so much down the stretch. So do not think this is the last you will hear us talk about them. The thing that scares me is they were... They had severe weaknesses last year, and they still made it as far as they did without Nemhard for the majority of the postseason. And then I don't even think we've mentioned Riley Kalkbrenner, who also could have been up for preseason player of the year in the mm-hmm. conference. He got hurt in the uh, Kansas game, was it? It might have even been mid-game there. And Creighton had a shot to win that game. They did. Kaluma was fantastic. Yeah, Kaluma was uh, was on the tournament team. Trey Alexander was so good. So they have so many pieces, and they were able to do that when they were incredibly deficient offensively last year. So when you hear McDermott talk about this team, all of those guys improved in their shot-making. They added Shireman. Kalkbrenner takes a huge leap. He's healthy. Nemhard takes a huge leap as the point guard. He's healthy. Somehow this team has a chip on their shoulder, which actually Ken Palm just – the metrics against this team were horrible last year. So I, I do kind of get that. And I asked Nemhard about it at Big East Media Day. And this team's this team is rearing to go. I, I could talk about them I forever, so I'll let you get in. But I think they have holes. It just won't take long for them to show how much they have improved. That's that's my biggest takeaway for Creighton so far. I'm just really excited to see this team on the floor because as you mentioned, there's just so much talent around it that I want to see it in play and that you're not going to get it early from them. Their first couple weeks are against cupcakes would be a compliment um, Mm -hmm. for it, but they play Texas tech. They play Texas. They play, play BYU. They play Arizona state. Yeah, You know, once they start to get into a little bit more of the meat of that schedule, we're going to find out about this Creighton team very quickly. And then, of course, we know how much of a beast the Big East is. Yeah, I thought you were going to say how much of a beast playing at, in Omaha is, too, because that's another huge advantage towards them. We know that. <clears throat> the only other thing I was going to say is just last year was also so different tempo-wise. We're used to them torching the floor. They weren't able to do that because they were so young and they did not have any depth. It couldn't be more different this year. You almost, as a Creighton fan, I'm sure you're stressing, thinking about how to distribute minutes to all of the talented players on that roster. And Not depth wins. To be in. Depth wins. We know that for a fact. So it'll be really fun to watch Creighton play. I don't think they live up to a top 10 team in the country like they were ranked in the first AP poll that dropped a few days ago. But I think they will be definitely one of the top two teams in the East. 
Uh, as do I. Yeah, top top two for sure. They've got too much talent to finish past that. Uh, if they do, something definitely went wrong. Yeah, some crazy injury or something, and McDermott has proven himself year in and year out. Lastly, Lastly. a guy that will have to prove himself a little bit at his alma mater. Shaheen Holloway returns to Seton Hall. We, I don't think we need to go into the weeds about Seton Hall's roster, but Holloway is... I don't actually. Do you think he is the uh, the biggest coaching story? Do you think Sean Miller takes the cake? No, it's still it's Sean Miller for me, just because of the pedigree that Sean Miller brings in. Though Shaheen Holloway did, of course, a phenomenal job at St. Peter's. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the Cinderella run, that sort of story, turns a lot of America's sweethearts towards Shaheen Holloway, and then of course, returning to Seton Hall, it's just not the same talent on the roster that's been there in the past few years. It's not. So first that, you know, we do have to touch on Kevin Willard, of course, gone as he is oh, yeah. off to Maryland where they forced him to make a Twitter account, which is just hysterical knowing oh, Kevin Willard. True? I'm not like sure there's even anything Kevin Willard would rather do less <laughs> than try and tweet with people. So that's really entertaining. Um, but yeah, as you look at this Seton Hall roster, you know, losing Jared Roden, losing Kale, Obiagu, Aiken, who was such an enigma um, for them, so talented, but just couldn't stay on the floor there's a huge exodus of talent here uh, coming back. Kadari Richmond, you know, solid wing. Alexis Yetna is actually a player I'm very high on. And I think is a mm. lot better than he gets credit for Tyree Samuel also back. Then the real big get was Casey and Defu coming over from the Peacocks average 10, six and two really strong interior defense. I think it, they were 21 and 11 from a year ago i do not see them reaching those heights this year it's year one of holloway he's gonna have to build something i have faith that shaheen holloway can build seton hall into a a very strong program and kind of keep them where they've been under kevin willard the question is can he get them farther than where kevin willard took them however in year one i think this is a difficult ask and what is a talented um conference i see seton hall as kind of a, a middle of the pack team yeah, and to say their season last year was a disappointment is the understatement of the century, and that's why Kevin Willard is no longer there. But I, I agree with you. I think they'll be scrappy, which is the best Shaheen's compliment I can card. give. Exactly. exactly. This They're going to be a the tough best. game to play. Yeah, that's the best compliment I can give Shaheen Holloway. I love hearing him speak. I think he is so measured and well-spoken and cerebral about the game, and he gets the best out of their players, which is the epitome of a Cinderella run, beating teams like Kentucky. So I, I agree with you. I think it'll be dislike or unlike, excuse me, Sean Miller, Shaheen Holloway will have a pretty long leash to get this program back on track. Just you don't see this very often when a coach leaves his current position to go to another one at the press conference and announcing that St. Peter's players were there. And oh, I, yeah. I, I think that shows you how much they loved the guy as a coach while I don't believe the talent level at Seton Hall is the same level it's been the past couple of years, he has the potential to coach them up into being something more than they are. And because of that, I think it's going to be some very intense games against Seton Hall as it always is for Villanova. Totally agree. And the recruiting is just getting started too. Mm-hmm. And he's proven himself to be a, a really decent recruiter. So that'll be another huge part of his game too. Without a doubt. All right. So I don't know if you gave me an answer about which team you think is this year's Providence. This year's Providence, it's so tough because I just, I don't see an opening at the top of the conference for someone to break into it. So if we're looking at a team outside of those, you know, the top four, I would say it's St. John's if they could hit on okay. on all cylinders. I don't believe they'll crack that top four, but I, I don't have faith in a, say, a Seton Hall 
or a butler to be able to try and make that type of jump yeah or a marquette yeah i, I really it, it actually it's the top four and then st john's and providence and then the remaining four teams i think that's probably is. fair yep yeah so it, it'll be interesting again to give the the league credit i don't know if there was that much of much room for debate at the top of the conference last year and there was a little bit of a mix up so we'll see uh you have any record aspirations here is that how we want to end up or wrap well, let's up? say i i won't go record just to try and keep track <laughs> of it but i do my prediction is villanova's third in the big east this year behind i have xavier and creighton i haven't even figured out how i want to rank them as one and two i think nova comes in at three still ahead of yukon okay And I hate to agree. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think if I should agree with you. Pick Villanova to win the conference. Different. Come on, do it. <laughs> no, I. I think Creighton is the most talented on paper, and like I said, I think Xavier has a really good chance to sweep just because of how talented their coaching staff is and that big combo that they'll have in Nunji and Fremantle, which mm-hmm. is just so hard for anybody to take on, even with Kalkbrenner and Creighton, even with. The bigs that Providence has and the big, bigs that St. John's have, it's just hard to handle both. And Eric Dixon is going to be tasked with a lot anyway. So I do think they can – yeah, I'm, I'm literally – it's so boring. But I, I think they're better than UConn. I think they'll finish third. I A lot of people were upset when Xavier came in in that coach's poll ahead of Villanova. Yeah. I, I was not one of those people. I, I think the Xavier team is very, very talented. And we'll talk about Nova on Thursday and go into it. There is talent on Villanova, but you can't discount the unknown that also comes in with the new era. So I, I, I yeah. understand why Villanova was put at number three. Yeah, we, we almost got to stop ourselves because otherwise it'll we'll go down this rabbit hole where we won't be able to start. I'm so excited to talk about Nova's expectations and the unknown and the freshmen and how the game plan and the roster will change this year. There's literally so much to get into. But when you think about this conference, I have, like you said, four really, really top tier programs. And I'm hoping that again, there could be five bids this year. I'm hoping Providence or Seton Johns, maybe even both will somehow click the pieces into place and get into the big dance. Always possible in this conference because they give you so many opportunities to get quality wins. Just understanding, yeah, the the, uh, the round robin is perfect. the talent that's yeah. around it. Absolutely, yeah. Anything else you want right. to hit on? I think I'm good. Our, our first episode down, season eight, episode one. Thank you for everyone who listened. It's good to be back, Pat. It's good to be back, and thank you for everyone that made it this far in it with us. I know <laughs> it, it is a long episode; it is a mega episode. But just with how the calendar worked out this year, with Villanova opening on a Monday, uh, we needed to condense this into one episode. So, thanks for hanging with us. Oh yeah, and make sure you tune in Thursday. Make sure to follow us on Twitter so you can get your mailbag questions in, and we will have a plethora of content coming up. We're so excited about Big East conference play this year. We certainly will. But all right, that'll do it for the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. As Emma said, we'll be back at it on Thursday for our Villanova team preview really excited to be back we are so close to basketball season people as you listen to this it is november 1st we are less than a week from opening night but that'll do it for us and nova nation 